on TV, right? You all seen these? I, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for any of those, right? Uh, it's kind of related to my desire to see justice done and evil put down and all that kind of thing. And I, and I love to watch these. And invariably, if you watch enough of them, at a certain point, you're going to have somebody go undercover, right? They're going to, and they're going to get a, they're going to get a new identity. They're going to get new names. They're going to get maybe new passports, uh, new places to live, new languages they need to learn to speak, uh, maybe even new appearances, right? You've seen Mission Impossible or any of these kinds of things. And they, they get new, they get a new way of living, a new identity. They get new relationships to their families a lot of times because their former life will get erased as they enter into their new life and their new identities. And oftentimes that is because the people in question are witnesses to a crime and their purpose is to testify about what they have seen and heard and, to, and for that testimony that they're about to make to change the world for the better. Now, I want you to hold on to that idea in, in your mind as we pick up from where we left off uh, last week in our study in the book of Ephesians. And so if you've got your Bible with you, I want, you to, I want to invite you to turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 17. And if you're able, if you would stand as I read in honor of God's word. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you would help us to understand these things about our new identity and to live in light of it. Uh, Father, we pray that we would honor your word by not merely being hearers of the word, but being effectual doers, as James tells us, and that the truth of your word would sink deep into our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would work his mighty power in us. Father, we don't merely want to be people who are different from the world. We want to be people who shine the light of Christ into the world. And so, Father, we pray that as a result of our encounter with you through your word this morning, that we would begin to do that more and more. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, you know, I was thinking this week about the idea of witnesses who get new identity because this passage makes it clear that we get a new identity when we become followers of Christ. We are witnesses, after all, of the greatest crime in the history of the world, the brutal murder of the Son of God. Amen? We are witnesses to that. Our purpose in the world is to bear witness to that fact. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins. And we are also witnesses, if you will, of the world's greatest miracle, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit through whom we receive eternal life. And these are the things which it is our purpose in life to testify to. We have a new identity. And our purpose is to testify to the things that we have seen and heard. To the transformation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ in His death and in His resurrection. And this passage gives us a new identity. One of the things our world is fundamentally confused about is who am I? Right? But we as Christians get new names. Christian. Followers of Jesus. We get a new family relationship. We get new citizenship. We get uh, new worship. We get new access to God. We get an entirely new way of living life because we are witnesses of the death and resurrection of the Son of God. So I want to walk through the implications of some of this with you in the text. Uh, first of all, through Jesus, we have new access uh, verses 17 and 18, through faith in Jesus, we have received new access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. You see that? We are able to come into the presence of God. Uh, verse, uh, there's several things I want you to notice in these verses. First of all, notice how our access to God arrived. Verse 17, it came... Through Jesus preaching the message of peace, the message of reconciliation between us and God. Jesus proclaimed by his life, by his ministry, by his death, by his resurrection, the fact that all people, both Jews and Gentiles, people of every race, color, kind, variety, people of every language, of every nation, of every, uh, of every gender, of every type, of every group can come into peace with God. And they can come, moreover, directly to God because of His death and resurrection making the way for us. And second, I want you to notice this is a Trinitarian act of God. It's a Trinitarian act. If you look at your Bible, you know, a lot of people get confused when they talk when we talk about Trinity because they go, well, how is it that there's one being who is God and there are three persons within the one being who is God? And how does that all work? Um, I can explain it to you, but I can't do it in a way that, that, that you can necessarily get your arms around. But the Scripture consistently talks in these terms of God the persons of God acting in unique ways as the one God acts in history to bring salvation to us. And so the Son carries out the Father's will and the Spirit empowers not only the Son's ministry, but the transformation in us to bring us into relationship with the Father. And so you see this, the saving and reconciling to God ministry of Jesus is applied to us because we believe in Jesus. And at the moment we believe in Jesus, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in us and grants us new access to God. So take a look at this. For through Him, that is, through Jesus, 
we have access in one spirit to the Father. So you, just like we pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit, right? We come to the Father in salvation through the Son. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. And we come by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we enter into God's presence the exact same way. That our relationship with Jesus grants us access to the Father. And the Holy Spirit empowers that access, making it possible that we can enter into God's presence. And also, don't, know, don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is important. You see how God is addressed? Father. Father. That, that's, a, that's a radical notion. Maybe it doesn't seem that radical to you if you grew up in church or if you've heard all this a lot, but the idea of God as Father is an uncommon thing. If you look at your Old Testament, in fact, you know how many appearances there are of the word Father with reference to God? Fourteen. Jesus referred to God as Father hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the Gospels alone. But in all of the Old Testament, which is twice as long as your New Testament, there are only 14 references to God as Father. And all 14 of them all reference God as the Father of the nation, this whole group of people, the nation of Israel. But our relationship because of Jesus has changed. And now he's not the father of the nation. He's my father. Your father. Abba, father. Remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Why is that? It's because of Jesus and what he has done. That he grants us new access and he's the one who loves us like a good dad and welcomes us into his presence, who delights in us and who enjoys us when we are with him uh, as his children. This is what puts the new in new covenant. Amen? It's not like the old covenant through which only the high priest could come into the presence of God and only once a year and never without blood. And you came in trembling and in fear for your life wondering whether your sacrifice would be acceptable. No, we come joyfully and fearlessly, boldly, lovingly to the Father who loves us because sacrifice has already been made. We have new access to the Father. And also, according to the first half of verse 19, we have new citizenship. Uh, those of you who are familiar with your Bibles know that Paul was born a Roman citizen and that that Roman citizenship is a big deal in the ancient world, and it conveyed on you certain privileges and immunities, right? Uh, that you had the rights to certain things, and you were kept immune from certain other things. For example, you could be beheaded as a Roman citizen, but you could not be crucified, because crucified was crucifixion was regarded as a shameful death. Beheading was the death that was those who were more noble. And so uh, there were certain rights that you had. You had a right to a trial as a, as a Roman citizen, but 
as a, just a regular run-of-the-mill part of the Roman Empire, they would beat you as the method of trial, which seems a little unfair. Um, but nonetheless, they, that's what they did, right? But to be a Roman citizen was to have a high status in the Roman Empire, right? In the same way, uh, if you were a Jew you would recount your lineage and your membership in the people of God. In fact, Paul himself does this elsewhere in the book of Galatians when he talks about his lineage and he talks about how he was circumcised on the eighth day, how he was of the tribe of Benjamin as to the law keeping a Pharisee. And he was like talking about, hey, this is my background. This is what I have to brag about, right? Um, and, and sometimes as you go around the world, people uh, that you encounter will be very proud of where they come from, right? Like if you go to France, you will discover that Jean and Jacques and Louise and all of the rest of these people uh, are very proud of being Frenchmen. And the fact that you do not speak French makes you an uneducated plebeian in their eyes, right? Um, th this is, uh, this is a, a point of pride to be French, right? Or to be an American in certain, in certain quarters and, and among certain people. This is a high and lofty thing. And let's not denigrate it, right? I mean, whenever I go overseas, I bless the day that we return home and I get back to the USA. In fact, I have literally kissed the ground upon arriving at the airport after six weeks in Mozambique. Uh, it was, it was <laughs> absolutely a wonderful trip, and we did great ministry, but I was so happy to be home, right? But we get new citizenship when we come to faith in Jesus. Now that the Messiah has come, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. Who are the saints? God's. The word literally means holy people, okay? The people of Israel were considered to be God's holy people. And you know what we were? Strangers and aliens. Foreigners, to use a more modern term. People who did not have citizenship in that nation, people who were outside the people of God, people who were not participants and recipients of God's covenant, we were foreigners to it all. We were strangers, not members. But through Christ, we get new citizenship, the citizenship that really matters our membership in the people of God. We are fellow citizens with the saints, meaning we have equal status. We have equal status. Nobody, nobody among the people of God can look down on anybody else within the people of God. Why? Because we're all equal. We, have, we are fellow citizens. We're all counted equally as among God's holy people. We're all recipients of citizenship in heaven. And as you look at the end of verse, uh, uh, verse 19, there's something else that's really good. You see it? 
members of God's household. We get a new family. Look around. This is it. I hope you're impressed. <laughs> All right? <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but we also get new family everywhere in the world, right? Wherever I go, I've been, I've been to four Asian countries, been to two European countries, uh, three African nations, uh, and spent time there and actually not just like landed at the airport, but like actually spent time and did ministry in these places. And, and I'm always excited whenever I go because you know what I find there? My brothers and sisters, they're all over. And they don't all look the same as me. In fact, none of the places that I have been does anyone look remotely like me, right? They don't dress the same. The language is different. The food is weird. Like I went to Slovakia and spent several weeks there, and they, they make pizza with very little sauce but with a fried egg on top. That they crack it raw and then bake it. And I'm like, mm, I don't know about that, right? Uh, you know, I've eaten some weird stuff in some weird places, right? I've eaten squid and rice uh, in Indonesia. You know, there's they things people do things different, but you know what? My brothers and sisters are there. My brothers and sisters are there, and and it is amazing. We are all part of one family. The text says we're members of God's household. And you might not think of this as the shockingly, amazingly wonderful thing that it is because you've heard it before, but think about it this way. Just, just for a second, step back and just think about it in a new way. That the holy and all-powerful and all-knowing creator of all things has done everything possible and necessary to make you a member of his family. Now, I doubt if you and I were to call up, you know, Jeff Bezos, who makes regular deliveries to the house, would take my call, right? Be like, hey, Jeff, I wanted to just call you and thank you personally for all the stuff that you've delivered over the years. And, uh, you know, maybe we could grab lunch, right? I don't think he returns my phone call, right? Especially not now that he's literally gone out of this world, right? Um, I don't think he's taking. You don't think he's taking my text message, or becoming my friend on Instagram, or you know any of that, right? Um, I don't think that's happening, right? Why not? Well, because he is Jeff Bezos, and I'm a pastor in Chillicothe, Illinois, and he doesn't know me, right? But the God of the universe the creator of all things visible and invisible, the one who spoke the universe into existence by His Word, who sustains it by His power, who uh, sent His Son to die on the cross for my sins, not only knows my name, but calls me His child, and has given me an inheritance of all things that exist, and made me a member of His family. And so, am I brokenhearted that Jeff will not take my call? Not especially, right? Because I have a relationship with the living God. And if we are Christians, so do you. 
Right? That you are a member of God's own family. It's an amazing thing. So Jesus supplies us with new family. And I know that in many places around the world, that is an incredible thing. You know, I'm joking. I hope you're impressed with your family because we're it, right? Uh, but, but in all seriousness, in many places around the world, and I have been in some of them, to become a Christian is to lose your family. It is to have everyone that you have known, everyone you are blood related to, in some cases, try to take your life because you are a follower of Jesus. It is to have all of the pictures, and I know someone in this country to whom this has happened, to have all of the pictures in which you are present in your family home, taken off the wall, put into a casket, taken to a cemetery, and buried because you have moved from one faith to another. And so the promise of a new family is a very, very big deal. And the fact that it is God Himself who is our Father, and we have a multitude, literally billions of brothers and sisters around the world, is a very big deal indeed. Amen? And we also have new worship. Verse 20 and 21. Um, Paul is continuing. He's talking about this household. And he says, The household is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Uh, under Old Covenant worship, your worship involved going to the temple, right? Three times a year you had to go up to the temple, you had to take your lamb or your, your doves or your goat or what have you, and you went and you would offer your sacrifices at the temple, and you had to go to this specific location, and there were people who had a specific kind of clothes that they had to wear, and there was a specific kind of ritual you had to follow in the purification of your sins and all of these things, right? You had to go to this place. And it was inconvenient for a lot of where people lived. But you needed to go to that one authorized temple in Jerusalem. But now there's a new temple. But surprisingly, it is not a building. It's not a building. It's a spiritual entity that is formed by all of the people who believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah. It's built on the foundation of the revelation given to us by the apostles and prophets of the New Testament era whose teaching and revelation from God about Jesus was given to them by the Holy Spirit and forms the New Testament itself. Including this very book that we are studying. The church is built on these things. And that revelation and that teaching is believed as, as that happens, as it is believed and followed, we become the new temple. The people, not the place, become the new temple where worship happens as we gather together with one another as people who are alike connected to Jesus. Let me just clarify this. You remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? People always remember the part where People spoke in tongues and all of that, right? But there was something else that happened. Do you remember what it was? What appeared above the heads of the people as they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you remember? 
tongues of what? Fire. You know why? It was for this reason right here. See, in the Old Testament, as people came out of Egypt, do you remember what led them through the desert? They had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. And when the tabernacle um, was erected, then the presence of God rested above the Ark of the Covenant as that pillar of cloud in the daytime and pillar of fire at night. And when Solomon erected his temple, what descended was a cloud and fire. But you see, as you read the prophet Ezekiel, as the nation goes into exile and as the temple is sacked and destroyed, the presence of God, you see it in Ezekiel, departing and waiting over the Mount of Olives as it leaves the city of Jerusalem and departs off to the east, not to return. And when the temple is rebuilt, they rebuild the temple and the people weep because what happened? The glory of the former temple was not restored. And it's not just about how big it was. It's about the fact that God's presence did not show up. This is about God's presence showing up. And where? And on a day of Pentecost, God made it very clear with those tongues of fire where the presence of God now rested. And it wasn't in the temple it was in the people of God. And you, men and women, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, have the, the presence of God dwelling within you. And you, as we gather together, are the new temple which God is building. On the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And let me tell you that bit about cornerstone. You know, we sing a song called Cornerstone about Christ alone, Cornerstone, which is a great song, and I love it. But some people don't understand what that means. They just think it sounds poetic. Let me tell you what the cornerstone was and how it was used in the ancient world. Cornerstone was the first stone that you laid, and you laid it at the corner, right? And the reason that you did is that it was the most important stone in the building. You didn't have a way. You didn't have laser levels and this kind of stuff and back in the day. And so what you did was you determined plumb and level and, and square based on that cornerstone that you set. And so how do I know if this is level? Well, does it line up with the top of the cornerstone? Well, how do I know if it's plumb? Well, does it, is it lined up this way with the, with the cornerstone? Well, how do I know if this end of the building is square with that end? Well, let's measure off the cornerstone and see. Well, Jesus is the cornerstone, meaning He is the standard by which everything is measured. And that which, the worship which is pleasing to Jesus is that which lines up with Jesus. And where we don't line up, we adjust. Amen? Now, one last thing. Verse 22, I want you to see this. Uh, this is right down to the last verse we're looking at today. Verse 22 reminds us that we have new ownership. The idea is kind of implied in a few of these others, but if you look at verse 22 closely, you'll see something very interesting says you become a dwelling place for God. 
It's a reference not to the temple in general, but to the holy of holies specifically. God himself has taken up residence within you and me. He is there. A holy God has taken up residence within you. And therefore, as the scripture says elsewhere, you are not your own anymore. God dwells in you. And the reason he dwells in you is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he takes possession of you. You belong to him. You belong to him. And you're not your own anymore. You're under new management. You've seen some of those signs, right? See some place that has been struggling for a while and then they get new management and they want to tell people, we're not the same place we used to be, right? When we become a Christian, we are not the same person we used to be. We're under new management. We have new ownership. And we're not ruled by ourselves. We're ruled by the one who dwells within us. Now, these things are here to tell us that you have a new identity and that that new identity transforms your entire way of life. And if you look around our country these days, you can find a whole bunch of reasons to be distressed. Amen. Crime is up. Uh, you know, people's incomes are down. Our political situation is confusing in all kinds of ways. You know, for my own part, I'm not greatly bothered by the way that the unbelieving world lives. Because after all, they're unbelievers. And so what do I expect to be the outcome of their lives, right? Uh, I should not be surprised that sinners give themselves over to sin because Romans well already told me that that's what they will do. But uh, it isn't shocking. But what does wound my heart? and worry me a great deal as a pastor is that so many believers in Christ fail to live out their new identity of people who are in Christ and, and who need to walk in and understand their new identity in Christ. We are new people. We are people who have been called into a new relationship with God and each other because we have been reconciled to God and one another by Christ's death and resurrection. Amen? And that fact has produced for us new access to God, new citizenship, new family, new temple, given new ownership of our lives over to God. And so there should be a radical transformation. Amen? A radical departure in who we used to be or who we are today. And we should stand out as a different kind of people than everybody else around us. Uh, meeting a Christian should involve a, a bit of culture shock for people who are not Christians. Amen? It should, be a, it should be a startling thing to meet one of us. We should be different because we have a new identity. So, because I have new access to God, 
that encourages me to make regular use of it. Amen? I mean, wouldn't it be sad if all of a sudden you were granted access to a billion dollars and you never wrote a single check? You never made any access to that money, right? Wouldn't that be a good time, by the way? I would have so much fun giving money away if I had that kind of access to it, right? We have much greater riches than that. We have access to the God of the universe through Christ, and yet many Christians make no use of the access they have or very limited use of the access they have. So let me suggest to you this, that if you don't, if you're not in the regular habit of enjoying your access to God, you can start very small. Okay? That's what I suggest. Find a New Testament letter, maybe Ephesians, maybe Galatians, maybe Philippians, or start with one of the Gospels, maybe Matthew or John. And as you start reading, read 8, 10, 12 verses, a chapter, a section, a paragraph, whatever. Uh, and when you read, before you read, ask God to show you something in the, His Word that He wants you to take note of. And then write down the verse that you took note of and what you heard God say to you. And what you think he wants you to do in response. And then pray and ask God to help you to do that. And then as you're praying, pray and talk to God about the things that are going to go on in your day today. Okay? Like, Lord, I know I've got this test coming up, and then I've got this, and then I've got this, and I've got this, and this is the thing I'm worried about. And this is the person in my life that doesn't know you, that I really would want to know you. But whatever's going on in your day. And then at the end of the day, as you lay in bed before you go to sleep, take a few minutes and go through your day. And say, Lord, I blew it here. Please forgive me for the way my tongue cut someone down today. Please forgive me for this, etc. Just go through your day and talk to the Lord at the end of the day as well about how it went and ask for His help to rest well and to go to sleep and to walk with Him the next day. It can be really basic, right? But make use of your access to God. Secondly, because you have a new citizenship, you should be prioritizing advancing the kingdom of God and the transformative gospel that helps people enter into it. Amen? There's all kinds of people who want to sign you up for a cause. I get letters all the time from, oh, donate money to this politician. You know, vote against this bill. All this stuff, right? And everybody wants to sign me up for a cause, but the thing is, I'm already signed up for a much greater cause, advancing a much greater kingdom. And I'm already occupied with that. Our allegiance as Christians is to our Savior by the Spirit. And He saves and transforms people far better than any program that men can devise. 
And so I'm going to be devoted to a, a better kingdom, a heavenly one. In addition to that, I have a new family, new relationships in the body of Christ. And so those are a priority, even over, in some cases, relationships with my blood family. Because my new family also matters, right? If you're blessed enough to have believers in your family, awesome. Enjoy that. But if you have no believers in your family, then your new family ought to be a priority too. If you're part of a new temple, then you need to be joined together with those who are part of it with you. Amen? We need to come together and be part of the new temple worship with each other. And if you're under new ownership, God's holy place, your heart forms God's holy place in the world, then that which is unholy, that which is unsuitable for those in whom God takes up residence, need to be about the business of purging from their lives all things which do not reflect the fact that we belong to Him. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray and then let's take communion together. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that You have done all things to make us completely new. And that, and that we have the opportunity and the equipping and the empowerment and the enablement to live out the new life that You've given us. Father, help us to not only be new, but to live as new in all of our relationships with one another, but also, and most importantly, in our relationship with you. Father, let's not take for granted the access that we have to you and the transformation you have brought, but to take delight in it as you take delight in us. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.